0: I think one of the most important skills to be able to learn is the ability to learn. If you know how you learn best and how other people learn, I think that will unlock a different type of potential on how you process information and how you interpret things. So that's the two categories I would place learning in, learning as a concept and learning as a skill.
1: good morning good afternoon good evening wherever you are in the world welcome back to a brand new edition of social Controls. it's episode 110 and today we're going to talk a little bit about a topic that i'm very interested in what this all until. Diego, yeah. tell me about it.
0: Sean, look, before we go into that, it is clearly evening where we both are. You're outside again. I can see some lights in the background.
1: And you know, I'm doing this for the, for the people who listen to the rerun. Why just put it up first thing in the morning as well? So yeah. I decided instead I'm going good, after- good evening, good afternoon, good morning. And decided to call morning. good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I was just trying something new.
0: <laughs> no, that's perfectly fine. And you know, just to paint this setting, it's dark outside where Jean is sitting, there's a nice light in the background, He's on a beautiful Caribbean island that I think I should visit again in the near future. It's been a while since I've been there. The topic we're going to have it about today is Kind of a follow up to the conversation we had last week about reinventing yourself, and we we kind of had some interesting takes during that conversation. Also, some comments came in about what we talked about, and people really appreciated that. So, for today, taking it a big, big a step further, when thinking about reinventing yourself, you need to go back to the basics, right? As you grow up. You learn things. You're you're being brought up in a certain household, in a certain culture, in a, so- a certain society. But then comes a time when you start you're you're learning. But then you you start developing your brain. You start thinking for yourself. You, you develop these biases. Some you agree with, others you don't have to agree with. And then, to a certain extent, you'll need to unlearn some things you've taken from the past, or you'll need to. Relearn in another framework, so that's why I thought this topic would be interesting: learning, unlearning, and relearning. What does it mean? How do you do it? What's your take on it, John? Having heard what I just uh, explained,
1: so my take is as follows: We're gonna do a short interlude with, <laughs> into it, and I'm gonna quickly—I'm not gonna do a full celebration, but I'm gonna quickly wish Diego a happy birthday. Happy birthday to you All right. on this 110th episode of Social Confluence. And why did I decide to put it in to the show is because this is also something that when it comes definitely to relearning birthdays, I think after New Year's resolutions are one of the things that we look most towards when we consider our focus on relearning. So to to answer your question, yes, there are definitely different factors that play a role. But before we go into the definitions, I think the, the mind state, the, the place that you are at within your life plays an important role as well. Whether it's the context of, say, school, where there's a certain amount of learning that's mandatory, whether it's getting your first job, starting a business, whether it's The people that you hang around with, your parents, people that you look up to, they all play a massive role when it comes to learning, unlearning, and and relearning. So to to give it a little bit more of a framework, Diego, when you speak of learning, unlearning, and relearning, what are the significant differences between the three for you? Well, the first thing I
0: want to frame it as is you have learning as a concept. And you have learning as a skill. I think what we're being brought up with is very much learning as a concept. Learning as in doing things from your toddler stage. You, you learn by actually doing things by trial and error. But as you grow up, you go to school, you, you, you go to this very, I'd say, formalized and structured way of, you know, getting new things you learn the alphabet, you learn languages, you learn math. So these are like cognitive things to do. But then you have other aspects. So that's learning as a concept, as getting information in and using that into the world or into the society you're brought up in, into your environment. The other aspect of what I want to bring up is learning as a skill. And I think the learning, unlearning, and relearning fits more into that category. Learning as a skill is, I think, something very much underrated or not being given enough attention to. Because when it comes to learning as a skill, people often memorize, people often learn facts, people often learn equations. But, they don't go so deep as to asking the deeper questions as to why, how, but also not how they take in that information, like how they process it information, because there's different learning styles. And I think one of the most important skills to be able to learn is the ability to learn. If you know how you learn best and how other people learn, I think that will unlock a different type of potential on how you process information and how you interpret things. So that's the two categories I would place learning in, learning as a concept and learning as a skill. And I think the learning as a skill part plays a vital role into the other two stages of unlearning and relearning as you grow up.
1: So, okay, but, but now here's the interesting thing about learning. So basically learning as a skill isn't dependent on age, right? No. There could be people that learn it at a very young age or develop the skill at a very young age. And basically everybody kind of develops that skill in a certain way, right?
0: Yeah, basically everybody has that skill but doesn't develop it to a conscious or cognitive sense that, you know, they apply it to, maxima- to maximize their potential.
1: But at what age? Do you feel that it should be something you should consider? And do you just would everybody in the world benefit from it as having it as a skill set?
0: I think everyone would benefit at having it as a skill set. Definitely, as you, I, I'd say that the ages of you know, baby toddler stages. That's where you learn by trial and error. As a baby, you you, you taste things, you touch things, but on on a cognitive sense, I'd say. Till the ages of 15, 16, teenager, that's where, where you kind of get a lot of input. But the, the most effective period would be, I'd say between your 20s and your 30s would be the, the the prime time. I feel also having read certain articles would be the prime time as your brain develops into you know fully functioning ability to maximize that. And you can also start understanding your biases, because that, that plays a whole big role into how you perceive things and that you don't fall into the trap of, you know, leaning too much towards your biases and kind of learn how to evaluate things objectively and how to restructure it in a sensible
1: manner. Okay. I want to, want to jump into into something, something bigger. It's it's one of the reasons, and I think this is a, a beautiful explanation by Danny. It's like, hey, this is where I'm at in life. Am I satisfied where I'm at at a certain age? And uh, one of the things, that I had this discussion today as well, is comparing yourself to your parents. And often when we compare ourselves to our parents, there's different variables that you look at. And then one of the variables you're going to look at is, Is it easier to learn in today's age than it was two, three decades ago? And if it's easier to learn things now, is it harder to implement what you've learned in today's age compared to a couple of decades ago?
0: I feel like it is easier to learn in this time one, due to the amount of information available, two, the amount of discourse, there is the the amount of interconnectivity, there is the amount of exposure you have to cross cultural cross-cultural information to different perspectives. So that stimulates the brain to, you know, process that information into, like you think of it like a computer, like your brain process so much information and, and has many more outputs. Compared to a decade ago or a few hundred years ago, there was less known. But I won't take away the inventions, the uh, theories that have developed over those decades through the brilliant minds. Like like if you think of physics, Albert Einstein creating these formulas. Yes, these are fundamental formulas. But what they lacked was one, the, the time horizon to be able to put all those theories into experimentation and practice, but also the tools necessary weren't there yet. So yes, now we're building upon what has been developed in the past, but that also accelerates the findings we have nowadays. So if, if you look at the technological evolution, it's only in the past what 50, 60, the, the past 100 years, how fast that has accelerated, how fast we put someone on the moon. Yes, a few thousand years ago, people were already doing astrology, but they couldn't imagine putting someone on the moon there. So that accelerated learning. And if you come to, okay, now we're talking very high level, but if you come to the, the average individual, the amount of stimuli they get of information, I think as humans have evolved over time, Some of that gets embedded into them. If you look at you, you have kids, for example, if you look at how you learned how to use your phone, a tablet, a touch screen and the rate at which they learned how to do that, it, it's that, that's proof right there on how fast you can learn if the tools are made available as you, but still that's a very
1: specific skill set, right? And I think this is a good comment as well. It's a lot easier, but the choices, there's too many yeah. choices. And this is something we struggle with. That, and and that, also, that's
0: why, why, why I, I'm glad that we brought up that point. And that's why I think it is important to learn how to learn. Once you learn how to learn and can assess things critically and objectively, you can filter through those choices much easier. So... Yes, it has become easier to learn because there's so much choice, but that has a drawback as in finding the needle in the haystack. But if you know a system for yourself on how to step by step go through that haystack to find that needle, that is the valuable skill of learning that I think we all can use.
1: Okay. So how do you apply? they have so many words for it. Biases. Yes. So so how can you the the fallacies? Because if you if you look at it from like taking the word learning and then doing your own research, for instance. Like if I would do my own research, I I would have a comparable findings to what you would have. Comparable, not the same. If I would develop a skill set of learning. How would you define this, the skill set of learning? Because from a research perspective, we might have a pretty similar final analysis when it comes to doing your own research, but it it isn't necessarily the case that the findings would be the same as everybody else. So,
0: so how does to... that matter?
1: Or would you say like it's more important to develop the skill set of learning than to have a certain kind of system to which you learn.
0: So on that note, when you mentioned research, how, in in what bucket or how do you contextualize research versus learning? Do you contextualize it in the, as as supportive to learning?
1: I, I can, I can make a statement that in five to 10 years time. Teenagers will be saying, yes, but I'm learning through YouTube. Mm -hmm. Or I'm learning through TikTok. It's a certain skill set. And at a certain point, especially when you look at it from an education perspective, we've already established that from an education perspective, we need to broaden the scope. Like the system, the environment in which you're being learned now is... It isn't always keeping up with the developments of technology, for instance. Mm-hmm. So, and we have talked about the concept of learning and the skill of learning. To what extent are schools, for instance, focusing on the concept of learning? And to what extent should they focus on the skill of learning? I think there's too much
0: weight on the, the general concept as in, in a traditional sense of learning. And then I frame it in the context of basically the industrial revolution of learning how to work, but not learning how to learn. So there should be more weight into learning how to learn as a skill. And I think that comes into play once you start, usually the, the, master, the master's degree to PhD degree of, of education and I think that's a bit too late
1: yeah I, I was saying because here here here's here's another inside like research comes at this certain level of learning slash knowledge so my biggest worry is are you willing to make that same that there is a certain amount of mandatory learning that's involved to get you to a certain point that you can develop your learning set? is there a certain level that you have to achieve, and to what extent are we still able to design that learning process for the masses, like everybody in the world?
0: I do think there's a certain amount of fundamental things you should be exposed to, to learn, but I don't believe the model we have now, or just that one model is applicable to the masses. Because there's too much variance and yes, you can distill it to what, what are the co- commonalities that everyone has, but I do think there's too much variance. I think there should be different pools of learning, how to learn, of pools of schools on how to educate. So I H- had says it learning is very individual and I think What is important is to get the individual to that point that they understand what works for them and how they learn, how they process information and going the next step further, how they can unlearn. Because I do believe that unlearning is much harder than learning as
1: well. Okay. But then again, my question is who decides, like every individual decides for themselves when they should unlearn, right? Let's, let's, let's start with that topic. What, what's the definition for unlearning in, in this situation?
0: So unlearning is basically say you, you, you've learned about a, a certain concept, how to, how you should talk to people, how to ma- manage a business, for example, or, or you learned a certain language and the language one might be a bit tricky. So. Might, should not have brought up that example, but I I so I might.
1: let it slide. I, let it slide. I, I might
0: dissect it if I have enough time to think that one through. But on learning, I would say is basically ability to let go of your frameworks biases because they no longer serve you into what you're doing. Say you've learned how to build a house through bricks and, you know, wood, wood and bricks, and you you build a foundation through that. But as time develops, new models have been created. You have the prefab models, for example. You should be willing to let go of the old concept. All houses need to be built out of bricks, for, for, for instance, and be adaptable to the evolution of that framework. Understanding the fundamentals is very important, but in anything it is important to know when, you know, to let go, to make room for a different skill or a better skill. Because sometimes the the teachings of the past can kind of be an obstacle to learning something new because you learned it's bad to... Wait, I, I have a great example here. Beforehand, going through shopping, people always brought their own bags, right? And then they learned over time, you know, the supermarkets have plastic and it's convenience. And now we're getting through that process again for the masses that they kind of unlearn that because it it has neg- bad effects on the environment. So that's more on a external effect. So unlearning th- that, that, that habit, I would call it, or that expectation that there's going to be a, you, you're going to get a plastic bag at a supermarket, it's difficult because people enjoy the convenience. So that, that's a simple example of, you know, how that can have an external effect. Coming back to the, the languages, for example, I'm happy I brought it up in a sense, right? If you learned how to learn Spanish, for example. And once you understand how languages work, how they fit, how they're constructed, how to convey meaning, I think it's easier to go into a a different language. I think Spanish, French, the the Anglo-Saxon languages have similar structures. So it's easier to go from one to the other once you've you know, unlearned certain biases. I may you may have gotten off track a bit, so can you still follow me?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. But, but the question is about unlearning is like, is it something that should be a gradual process that is no longer needed by society? Is it sometimes that we have gone a little bit too far? I feel like in certain instances in the current world that we live in, we have to unlearn a lot of things. Daddy is joking about unlearning the SMS. Oh, way of yeah, th- that's a big one. Then, so, <laughs> so, so, but right. but that's also something that where you're started saying like, hey, we won't either. So for me, that way of, of communicating has come across because you wanted to do some kind of code. Like, for instance, not be having your parents be able to understand. Like the, the, one of the famous ones is BRB. BRB is, is just quick of saying like, I'll be right BRB. back. Yeah. It 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 shortens it. It makes it easier. Is that something that you have to unlearn, or has it gone gone on to an extent that it's so it's it's becoming too mainstream and that it's being misused? I want to go uh, a little uh, go ahead for this one. SMS yeah.
0: So SMS language in texting and BRB. I I I do want to distinguish them. SMS language was. No. Okay,
1: SMS language is also, you had a certain amount of characters. Yeah. So you is wanted to a see request, a certain amount a, of things. And yeah, one had to convey the message within this space. And there are tricks for that. It's like, and, um, and, and that's also how much the platform supports it. For instance, Twitter went from 140 to 280 characters because of this. So there's there's different things to consider consider before you. You can't say like, hey, this is something we should unlearn. And I actually want to go a step further because mm-hmm. one of the interesting topics that I've come across more and more recently is the idea of how the pyramids were built and the technology and the systems that were used for the pyramids to be built. And that process was unlearned mm-hmm. as well. So do you feel that that's something that fits into so, that category as well?
0: So that's more on a societal level, a, you know, a time period level. So I don't know how they were built. Maybe you can shed some light on it: what they unlearned or what they forgotten.
1: That's why I ask. So for me, it's very important to define like unlearning as. Is it I think unlearning, something is, unlearning something is a, a con- skills set right now.
0: I, the way i I see it in my framing: unlearning is a conscious act. It's a conscious act to let go of your biases, your frameworks, and make room to reassemble, I would say. It's it's basically, if you have Legos, there's a house there, you break it apart, and you should be able to use those same pieces and build something up again.
1: But do you consider getting rid of an addiction also on learning?
0: Yeah, I I think that's a fair thing to put into that category. And addictions are very hard to kind of, you know, get rid of. And that's where habits come into play. So that's a big one, I, I would say, like smoking for the smokers out there or other types of addictions. It is very difficult to let that go because it has become part of your identity it has become part of your team so it has become part of your framework on how you go through the day so removing that or breaking it apart from the or letting that go is the unlearning
1: process okay so with, with addiction it makes sense to unlearn but why should we tell you on learning more than we currently do.
0: Other reasons would be if you aren't open to unlearn it, you'll be less open to new perspectives, new experiences, new cultures, new behaviors. And if you're rigid in that framework, if you believe, as we've talked endlessly on, on, on this podcast, the the... For example, that the financial system, if you believe this is how it's supposed to be and you accept it as is, and you, you aren't open to change, you'll always be subject to that system, and you, you're not open to other systems and perspectives.
1: Okay, let's look at it from a positive side. But let's say, for instance, and I'm really playing devil's advocate here, right? No, th- That's perfect. Uh, One of the things that I was was thinking really really like is what if you unlearn a skill set that's actually more valuable than you think? That would be one.
0: How would you know it's more valuable than you think?
1: You only figure out after you.
0: So if you unlearn it, you can always relearn. Or
1: or you never notice it. Yeah. Or you never notice it and you've unlearned something valuable. And the second is, what if you just want a simple life and your current ways of living meet the event of you being happy.
0: Okay, define a simple life and define, give me some more context on being happy and having this simple life. And so, add some context a, to where, where you are now. Yeah.
1: So there is a very, very simple story of a businessman meeting a fisherman
0: yeah, and we all know that. You know, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, and giving
1: tips that. on like how We're you can growing get, the business catch more fish, how that, fish get, how to and get then a you big can
0: enterprise, get a big enterprise. Once you have So you so much can money. retire
1: and then you can sit down and fish. And the fisherman goes like, "But that's exactly what I'm doing now." Yeah. So why do I have to go through the whole process of doing that, while to do something that I'm currently already doing? And with that, there are a lot of societal things. One of my favorite pieces is the Society of Spectacle by Guy DeBoer, where he basically explains the world that we live in now. We live in a society of spectacle. And that's basically built on all these automations, everything that's being done. There's kind of, there is no end. Like, there's always continuously, gradually, a next step. It's like video games that used to have an ending but now all of a sudden they don't have an ending it, you can just go on and on it doesn't stop there's always a higher goal to be achieved you can always, always... More. basically yes there there in, so, in, certain, in certain I, I, I
0: want to push back on that is yeah. there always a higher goal to achieve for you or is there there's always the
1: possibility
0: that's yeah that's
1: made available our kind yeah. of there's always a next in front step. of people to There's always a next really step to it. be explored. And we've gotten so so yeah. infested in finding new things, in finding better things, in going this this step further, even to the point that people are completely disobeying societal norms and standards just to be the one that kind of breaks that barrier. And there are people in the world who kind of say like We don't necessarily want
0: that. You want a simple life.
1: Yeah. And in those cases, you don't need to unlearn anything.
0: I would still disagree with that. Because the unlearning process, you can stage in very much different layers, different, I'd say, areas of effect. Different impacts. You have, you know, community wide, maybe immediate environment, internally, habits like smoking, for example, is very personal. So I do still think the ability, even if you wish for a simple life, the ability to consciously unlearn something is a valuable skill. The ability to not want all these things as Means the media has put it going for that bigger goal. That's something you can unlearn. So I do still think it's a valuable skill, even if for someone that prefers a simple life.
1: Yeah. But that's kind of.
0: And, and it also adds, I'd say. But you're
1: not born with that. The things that adds... you're talking about unlearning, you're not necessarily born with it.
0: But you've <laughs> learned it. You, you've learned it as you grow up. And or some of that, or you haven't, or, or you haven't, but there are things that you will learn. Not, not all the things that come at you may be positives for you because there's so much input from outside, so much context, so much situations that you can be in that you interpret into a certain way. If you've been into a fight at school, for example, you know you're, you're not supposed to. Yeah, but to you're do talking that. about
1: society as we know it. I mean, I'm talking here, society. Where people are still closed off from, from the rest of the world, closed off of Western civilization. Like
0: they okay, do not
1: just for example. Yeah. So for me it's like there do you consider situations well, where people can have a very happy life without ever having to unlearn something?
0: No, I don't think it's black and white like that. If you're talking on a societal level. Do you feel
1: that unlearning can be over-commercialized, for instance?
0: it. Okay, you're making a big step here from societies that are disconnected from the world and commercialization. So can you bridge that gap?
1: So there are certain topics on the internet where people are being unlearned things. One example that's the easiest to make is Being unlearned to talk and dress a group of people with ladies and gentlemen, right? There's a Mm -hmm. a very big step there, saying like... Is is that
0: unlearning or programming?
1: (laughs) So no, that's why I'm asking you this question. This is exactly why I'm asking you the question. So if you're going to unlearn yourself, from using certain adjectives or using certain words. And I'm trying to keep it simple as possible. Yeah. Like, yeah. I
0: disagree with those, but yeah.
1: Yeah. No, it doesn't matter if you disagree with it. The question is whether or not we should take that into consideration as part of unlearning.
0: No, as I framed it beforehand, I see the unlearning skill as a conscious decision to do it. If you're being forced or incentivized to do it without you
1: knowing then it's programming and how do you know if somebody's unlearning and when do you know somebody is being programmed
0: that's that's why I say it should be by you yourself it should be conscious decision of letting something go it should be a cognitive decision it shouldn't be you be, are being led in by some incentive or by someone or by some context.
1: So the people in the world most needing to unlearn things are policymakers. Is that what you're stating? I could agree with that. Bringing that to relearning, from unlearning to relearning. How much of the relearning is effect of unlearning processes? And how much is it just a need, societal need or a personal need in one's life to relearn something?
0: Can you repeat
1: that slowly? So when how we much? talk about relearning, how much of relearning is something that you've unlearned that you have to relearn? And how much of relearning is something that gradually comes across mm-hmm. in life? I don't
0: think it's easily put on a scale like that. So... When it comes to relearning, you, as you've unlearned something, if you, as, as you've bra- broken a concept down of, or as you have let something go, some components of that skill might be good. Some component of that construction might be good. The, the key with le- relearning, I think, is it, it falls in line with learning, but you've broken it down to fundamental concepts. So, this, this comes to the, as we've talked about, I think a few episodes ago where that we had one-on-one, the idea of first principles. Once you've broken it down to constituent pieces, you can take the best of it and kind of restructure it into maybe a, a better foundation, a, a better habit. So that relearning process is something, as you've gone through the unlearning process, that you've critically been able to analyze Coming back to learning, learning how to learn as you relearn, you, you've learned how to build these building blocks together and build a certain skill set, build a certain framework, build a certain house, for example. So in that context, I would say, you know, relearning, unlearning and learning, it, it's kind of, it's something that goes together in that process as you develop the skill to learn and build. And use those pieces to build blocks.
1: To bring this to a little bit, before we bring it a little bit more practical, you talk about the fir- first principle a bit. Could you elaborate a little bit more on, on that and how it's connected to learning?
0: I'd say first principle thinking is basically you have a concept, you have an idea, and you see a building or you see how the car drives. And you try to break that down into fundamental laws, fundamental laws of nature, fundamentals ways that things work. So again, with the Lego block example, uh, for example, you have different types of Lego blocks, right? And they can build, You can build an airplane with it. You can build a house with it. You, you need certain pieces to make certain shapes, and. Those blocks are your fundamental pieces. Once you understand that this shape can connect to that shape to, to have this certain functionality, if you bring the necessary Lego blocks together, you can build something entirely new with the same fundamental principles, with the same fundamental component. So pure principles thinking is breaking things down to its fundamental pieces and then rearranging it to to something new or something better. And as Danny said, like you have a Lego house, you can take two Lego blocks and rebuild a better Lego house. Yeah, for, for example, or build something very different. Maybe you build a, an, an airplane or a boat with, with those <laughs> same pieces because the, the same components still work in that different concept.
1: So to what extent? Because there's a little bit of a move and that's happened in the last 20 years from Intelligence like IQ to emotional intelligence. Is creative intelligence already a thing or is it something that will come up eventually?
0: I have no idea. I think these are labels that are placed by researchers, scientists to be able to kind of more well, easily I, yeah. evaluate certain behaviors. So if creative intelligence comes into a, its own label, I won't be able to say. But intelligence as a collective, there, there are different parts of the brain that, that, you know, react to different things differently, how you talk with people, that's what they, or how you treat people, or how, if you can show empathy, that's what they put under emotional in- intelligence. So maybe that there's a space for creative intelligence as its separate category, but again, with creative intelligence with emotional intelligence, even, and the traditional IQ intelligence, intelligence, the more logical intelligence, you could break that into fundamental principles as well. Let's take emotional intelligence. For example, if we're talking about empathy, the psychology of how how people react to things, you, you would be able to break that down into fundamentals, understanding it, it, it's a more abstract than I I would be able to visualize or paint a picture, but it should be. it It is something you could break down into fundamental concepts, like emotions. You, you have a certain amount of emotions that we use words to describe and how they link to each other and how events can affect certain emotions. If you understand that, you can, I wouldn't say predict, but you could, put out options with a high probability of happening on how someone would react to a certain event.
1: Okay, fair enough. We're getting to the portion of the show where we want to have a little bit more fun with the topic. (laughs) So, what's one thing you want to look at? Yeah, I want to I want to drive straight in, but you want to (laughs) go a little bit more. No, no, I I want
0: some of your thoughts because you've been asking the questions here on on most of the things you've asked the question. Like, just a high-level overview from learning, unlearning, and relearning. How, how do you see that relationship and compare it to an individual level and more a societal level?
1: So let's start off from the societal level. I think learning somehow has become underrated. I feel that a lot of things are
0: and is this learning as a concept as we defined it in the yeah, beginning? it's okay. learning
1: as a concept. Okay. So learning as a concept has become crucially underrated, and especially understanding the difference between learning from a book, learning through observation, and learning through actual experience, like understanding the difference between the three yeah. of those, how The the experience is different as as, as well. Often we think that if we would read something or observe it, it could be categorized as experience and going through it, which is often not the case. It's a completely different process. So from that part, I'm definitely worried. I'm actually kind of excited about the aspect of learning as a skill as people are gradually getting more connected to it. From a societal perspective, unlearning is something that I'm still struggling with. If you would ask me something that I wanted to unlearn, I'm not sure I'd be able to give a question or even something that people should unlearn. There's definitely things, but I think those are mainly generational things. And often what we don't understand is that people got to where they are with the knowledge that they have. So it's really hard to say to unlearn something because unlearning something doesn't give an immediate guarantee that it will be a success. And for relearning, I think that's something that I haven't considered as much either.
0: Okay, so that's on a societal level and on a personal level?
1: On a personal level, I think unintentionally, this is already going on. But it's really hard for me to look beyond habits and routines.
0: Okay, fair enough. And I see some comments, political intelligence, coaching and learning has better results in my opinion. Interesting.
1: Yeah, I I, I mean, and and that's something that I fully agree with in the sense that we've always had the idea and the concept of learning. And I think that's why we had it wrong. The concept of learning is that there's a higher state and that person knows much more about the subject than others. Mm-hmm. And that they are able to teach every different individual. So that's a similar way.
0: That's also that's, a framework The the concept of learning exactly. that someone bad, yes. someone with more skills or experience always knows it better. It's, something that has been learned or programmed over time, but that isn't always the case. So letting go of that idea can be sometimes confronting.
1: Yes, and I had a big opinion when I was a lecturer in the sense that I didn't like the system fully because the idea behind an educational system is that you should be able to ask questions that people have to respond to. And you have to grade them based on a model that's the same for everybody. So if I would have somebody that for whatever reason wrote down exactly what I had in my correction model, they should be given the most points, whether or not they understood what they actually wrote. And I think that's for me is the difficult part. Because I felt that I had to unlearn something there. Change my perspectives on teaching and learning other stuff. And that really messed with my mind. Yeah. I I from from my
0: simple model based on my understanding or my perspective of learning, I would Give someone who wrote down the answer exactly as written as zero.
1: Oh well, no, I actually brought them to the exam committee. Some cases because it was a clear case of, of cheating. Yeah, in some in, right. in some cases, in, I had situations where students wrote down the second, the exact second line of Wikipedia. Mm. And the rest of the document was in a different writing style. I had situations where one student copied the exact work from another student. And of course, you notice it easily when the information that's being copied is incorrect. But now we get into a situation with AI, which somebody in the comments already mentioned. (laughs) And you're now asking me as a lecturer, to figure out whether or not somebody used AI to cheat instead of teaching the skill set of understanding how AI works and how to differentiate and make sure that you're not doing the same thing as everybody else is doing.
0: That I was about to bring up that part of AI and I think this transition phase, if, if you just look in the past four months, months—how. Models have developed and have been released. It's kind of crazy, like the the system can't keep up with the technology, in in that sense. So
1: <laughs> I had the funniest <laughs> conversations with ChatGPT <Dr. laughs> over the past weeks. To at a certain point, I feel I was having a conversation with a person until the bot prompted me that it's still AI bot. So uh, on that
0: note, right, because I I watched an interview of Elon today, I forgot with whom it was again, but it it was on the topic of AI. So the AI models now, so open AI is basically heavily influenced by Microsoft right now. They were open source and now they've kind of brought, brought their code private, more, I say, tailored. Google has their own thing, own models. And. These AI are being trained, like if we're talking about the process of learning, unlearning, and relearning, trained with certain biases as well, based on, as you mentioned, you, you got the prompt like you said, from hey, I'm an AI. Yeah,
1: framing as framing, pretty much framing as well.
0: So so they're getting frameworks and biases, and uh, you you can get prompts of you know, like you said, I can't give an answer because you know, if you're looking for a piracy site, for example, because it's not ethical, etc. Whereas Elon's comment was, then you get this, this degree of control again, and people just, you know, following what the AI says without actually critically assessing that. So there's this balance of this openness that you should have that unbiased and un- unfiltered information. But that again, there's the issue on safety and risk of the future.
1: So how much has the idea that Elon made the Twitter verification batch available for Western countries because it's not available in China? how much has that played a role? In? In getting people to unlearn the importance of being verified, or getting people to alert the status aspect of being verified. That's an interesting
0: point to bring up. I could have not thought about that directly yet, but I have noticed as I was scrolling through Twitter, there's different types of verifications now. And if you hover over it, you can see it's, you know, if you're affiliated, Affiliated to a certain company, if you're a nonprofit organization, if you're part of the government. And Facebook is
1: basically read the same process as well. Yeah, yeah.
0: And normal normal users can just pay for that verification, so it doesn't go through some sort of vetting or you know mass uh, accreditation by people to get some sort of consensus, like you know ninety five percent. Of people trust what the what the source is saying, for example, with a track record. So I I, I do think it it has shown some disruption in that sense. What what Elon's doing, I think one of the funnier tweets that I saw was they 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 put verifications on a media. I think it was Canada on a national media company, and it says this this company or this network is backed by the government. And then they, they came with a counter argument or an announcement like, "It we backed at less than 70%. So there's, there should be less bias there. So he updated the verification to 69% backed by the government. <laughs> just out of... So that was one of the funniest things I saw today. But that just goes to show like that the biases that these media outlets have you you don't know.
1: But let's scale I'm it just... down. Let's let's bring it back to our personal situation. I would love to close off the show. Yeah. So one good. thing you wanna learn. One thing you wanna unlearn and one thing you wanna relearn. I would say one thing
0: I want to learn is Hmm. Difficult. I am still learning it, but, you know, fluently speaking Chinese is something I'd like to learn. I'm, I am can't see a recognized character now, but I, I can't have conversations like it yet. So that's one thing I thought would like to learn something I'd like to unlearn. And I guess I'm in the process of that now is, you know, not eating sweets or too much sweets, basically. The liquids I consume mostly consists of water, tea, occasional, some cocoa now, but I I don't drink any carbonated drinks anymore, I would say, with, with the sugar intake. So, that, and that's, I guess, has been a semi-conscious decision or it has become more conscious over time as I kind of build the habit of, you know, working out, which I need to pick up again, so... I need to relearn that to a certain degree <laughs> because I've been slacking. It, this comes with uh, the habit of if you miss once, it's okay. But if you miss twice, it's a start of a new habit. Mm-hmm. That, that's the things that immediately come to mind. How about yourself?
1: One thing I really want to learn is how to build a community that doesn't require me to ask them for money. That's really like, I mean, I could earn from it, but it shouldn't be the main reason why the community is there. I feel like all the communities, all the programs that are being put up are in first instance to create a certain amount of money to get financial independence. And it's a very hypocritical statement because in the end, these communities right now, they're all about money. So I can even say like unlearning that. What I really want to unlearn are certain habits that I have, like sleeping in, for instance. What I want to relearn is also connected to that. I want to relearn how to breathe.
0: That's an interesting one. Over the course of the show, you had brought up breathing a few times and brought up different models, but elaborate and close us off with that. Like, So why do you want to I, relearn how to breathe and what's wrong with your
1: one breathing? One of my biggest worries with me personally, and that's why a lot of people were like, hey, you should be worried about COVID because COVID is a disease that for people who are don't have the strong lungs, it could be very dangerous. My lung capacity, either I have small lungs or I'm not fully using my lung capacity. When I was younger, I always compensated that by being very active in sports. When you're very active in sports, you have the situation where you don't feel like you're being confronted with your shortcomings from a breeding perspective. What I've noticed recently is that I've increasingly gotten, it's gotten more difficult for me to consume both milk and dairy products. I could also say like, I have to relearn what healthy food is like. We had Doreen on the show, one as the first guest at Social Confos. And she has become she has a non-dairy diet. So she's not vegan, she's not like using those all meat or something, but she has a non dairy diet in which she doesn't use eggs, she doesn't use milk, she doesn't not use anything dairy. We had a dis- dairy, we had a discussion on cheese, for instance, because Oh, Jesus! great, right? I'm trying to figure out what's causing it. But chocolate is one of the things. Chocolate with milk in it is, for me, very hard to put it down because it's delicious. But I also feel the same situation and the impact that it has on my breathing and on my sinuses and all the systems in place in my body towards breathing that's having a negative impact. So, yes, of course exercising more is one of the things that i'm doing but i still feel i have to relearn certain aspects i have to relearn how my body works as i grow older and i even if i'm physical i'm not able to do the same physical activities that i used to do in my 20s so that's something for me really to consider and a daddy yes it has to be something that i like doing so for instance and the reason why I say I'm not going to do yoga is because the threshold is a little bit too high for me because there are other things that I would benefit more than yoga that I would rather do first than jump through that. Them. So to give a little bit of an example that I'm going to close it off is running on a treadmill. You will never get me to run on a treadmill because i rather run on an actual track. i rather run in my living room from one wall to the other than run on a treadmill. You need to feel that displacement. Yeah, it's, I don't need a machine for that, for instance. So these are things that you're gonna start considering in my situation, where I do feel like I have to do a different approach I have to really learn something. And this is one of the things that I really... Because my biggest fear is is having having troubles breathing. That's a good one. Same
0: with cycles as Jean-Luc.
1: Yeah, Bruce has the same with cycling because it's not the same as sitting on a bike at home and actually being on the street and really navigating through either the traffic or the road that you're, you're using to cycle. It's not the same thing. Going up a hill, is the same with running and cycling. Going up a hill, it's not as the same as putting the incline of the treadmill up. It's just not the same in any you way. You don't have the pull of gravity.
0: But yeah, uh, I think that's a good place to leave it at. This was another fun episode on some concept that, con- some concept that are stuck in our minds so happy to have had this one again this episode same with the previous episode on reinventing yourself and the one with our last guest will be up on the website by the end of the month i'm not sure if we're gonna have a guest next week but shall look how are we for next week
1: we're going to surprise people. And they can check back in next week for a new episode of First Economics.
0: Awesome. With that being said, we're going to sign off here. Thank you guys for tuning in. It's been a fun episode. Leave your suggestions and comments in the comment section if you want to see specific people or topics that we should talk about. And until next week, see you next time on Social Compos. Bye-bye.